Here comes Peter Cottontail, hopping down the bunny trail. Hippity hoppin', Easter's on its way. Hello, this is Randy Moon, and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. And today, I will be talking about the Fabergé Imperial Eggs. This is Beth, and I'm going to be talking about the Easter Egg Hunt. This is Cole, and I will be talking about the Mall Easter Bunnies. As you may notice, Sydney's not here this week. She is off at her new apartment, trying to get it moved into. We helped her yesterday, uh, Beth, Cole, Cole's girlfriend, Kelia, and myself. Beth and I had been there the previous week, too. So uh, we miss her and uh, wish her well in her apartment doing. <laughs> and we'll see her, you know, later today. <laughs> yeah. Now, fortunately for her, it's been a really, really nice week. It was nice weather yesterday. It's been nice weather so all week. beautiful. Very spring-like weather. I think this week's supposed to cool down again into the upper 40s, but this past week's been as high, I think, as 70 one day got up to. So the um, spring crocuses and the daffodils are all coming up. We have flowering crocus out there now. Fun! Yeah, we do. It's true. It was also a good week for the Kincaids to visit our friends from Texas. Shout out to the Kincaids. That's right. Who we interviewed last week. That's right. Uh, They were in the process of finding a place to build on. So they found that place this past week. So that was a successful trip for them. And we'll see them in the months ahead as they continue that process. I will say, um, you know, Cole moved a year ago into his house. Sydney's moving into her apartment now. It's a little easier this year from a COVID perspective because everybody's been at it for a year. They kind of know they've got their social distancing practices in place. Sydney and I already have our shots, both shots. So, you know, it's kind of much smoother flow to it. You kind of know what to do. Everyone has online things. Last year when Cole did it, it was a little more uncertain. Right. Yeah. We were still figuring out things. Like with the person who was like the realtor, we were still figuring out like, okay, do I go in in person? Do I try to do a mobile? Like nothing had been established at that point. Yeah. So it was tricky, but we made it work fine under the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, When we hadn't established our inner circle, you know, the Andersons, the Kincaids, yet as of that point. So now with that, because the Kincaids helped us move on Tuesday. So, you know, that helped was, Sydney. Helped Sydney move helped this past Sydney. Tuesday. And the Andersons are will be helping us in a week or two. So it's kind of nice to know, too, that we can have an inner circle. Right. Which we didn't really know last year very well. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. It took us a while. Yes. Yeah. Today is also the beginning of daylight savings time. So that pushes the uh, light out later, which is really nice for us. Us that work or have longer commutes to be able to come home and have more light at home. It's also St. Patrick's Day week. It's That's right. Uh, Wednesday, St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. That's right. So hopefully by the time you hear this, you will have had a very fun St. Patrick's Day. Well, it is the Easter season this year. And Easter <laughs> is the second Sunday of April, I believe. And there's lots of traditions around Easter. We've covered them in the past, but I wanted to focus specifically on some special Easter eggs that you may have heard of, but may not know some of their background. So you guys have heard of the Fabergé Easter eggs, right? Yeah. Yes. So what are they? Do you know? All I know, and I'm excited to hear more about them, all I know is that they are very fancy and expensive, and there's 
I'm guessing very beautiful, but other than that, I don't know anything more. What but I'm excited to learn. How about you, Cole? What I know is that they're jewel-encrusted eggs, usually, or gilded eggs, and that they are traditionally associated with the imperial family, the Romanovs, in Russia. When That's I was true. over in Russia, I saw a lot... Any of the museums are yeah. going to have a lot of Fabergé eggs. So well, You knew a lot more than I did. Good job. Cool. Well, so, yeah, I, I mean, I went there. Yeah. So, <laughs> any study about <laughs> Russia. So they uh, were created in the late 1800s, early 1900s by Fabergé, Peter Carl Fabergé. And they were originally for the imperial family. Possibly as many as 69 total were created, and of which 57 survive today. So a lot of people... It's a pretty good amount for 69 Mm -hmm. to 57. And a lot of people think Fabergé eggs are much more widespread than they are. Like, people will say, oh, I think my mom or dad owned a Fabergé egg. Like, kind of not thinking, thinking that... It's a fancy egg, maybe right. from Russia, maybe from Europe, yeah. somewhere like that. <laughs> like and what I was all, just talking about. Yeah, they're yeah. all Fabergé eggs, and they're not. But there are tons of, not knockoffs, but, you know, really fancy Easter eggs, but they're not Fabergé Easter eggs. So, they're all manufactured between 1885 and 1917, and the most famous are the 52 imperial eggs. So, of the 69, only 52 were imperial 46 of which survive today. And they were made for the Russian czars, Alexander III, and then his son, Nicholas II. And what you may not realize, they were made as Easter gifts for their wives and mothers. Oh, I did not know Yeah, so they were specifically Easter eggs. The world's fanciest Easter eggs. The world's fanciest Easter eggs. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, history. So you may or may not know, but Easter is one of the most joyful celebrations for the Orthodox faith in Russia. It's a really big deal. After church services, families often gather and exchange gifts of decorated eggs, and it symbolized renewed life and hope. So in the Easter of 1885, it was the 25th anniversary of Tsar Alexander III and Tsarina Maria Fedorovna, and the Tsar wanted to give her an exceptional gift for his wife. He placed an order with the very young jeweler at the time, Peter Carl Fabergé, whose creations had caught Maria's eye at some point. So on Easter morning, Fabergé delivered to the palace what appeared to be a simple enameled egg. But to the delight of the empress, inside was a golden yolk. And within the yolk was a golden hen. And concealed within the hen was a diamond miniature of the royal crown and a tiny ruby egg. Both of those last two items are lost in history. So the other three bigger pieces, they still have in one of the museums, but the last two are lost in history. The Russians really do like sticking things inside of things. They do. It's it's the nesting egg. It's all about the nesting nesting dolls, yeah. This absolutely delighted his wife. That's all he needed to know in order to commission... Another Easter egg for his wife every year. I would be delighted if I received such I an expensive gift. I would probably not hold on to it because it's worth a lot of money. <laughs> but <laughs> I would be delighted to receive it. So the requirements from the czar were quite simple. Each egg must be unique and each must contain a suitable surprise for the empress. And I think that the nesting part is the surprise, right? Mm. So in October of 1894, the czar falls ill, and he dies suddenly, right in the prime of his life. 
and his son, Nicholas II, ascends to the throne unwillingly. He says, uh, Nicholas says, My God, the Lord has called our deeply beloved Papa to him. My head is spinning. What is going to happen to me, to Russia? I'm not prepared to be a czar. I never wanted to become one. Uh-oh. So that's where we start. So he was. He felt he was untrained, not ready for this, in ruling one-eighth of the world's population. So he decided the best way to go forward was to just firmly and unflinchingly follow what his father was doing. So everything his father was doing, he would continue to do. So, you know, the Easter eggs from Fabergé was one of the, the traditions started by his father. So Nicholas decided to carry it on. He continued the annual commission of Fabergé Easter eggs for both his mom and started a second order for his wife, Tsarina Alexandra Fedorovna. Fabergé's works up to that point had not been seen by the world. In 1900, Fabergé took his, some of his eggs, including some of the imperial eggs, to the 1900 World Exhibition in Paris. They astounded the jury. This is the jury that judges like arts and crafts. <laughs> um, it sounds like a little higher than arts and crafts. <laughs> but they are art. And Artisans, maybe, or artistry. And they shower him with honors, and his fame spreads throughout Europe, which of course means more work for his shop, which then becomes the house of Fabergé. But even though he gets all these orders from aristocrat, aristocrats, <laughs> meow, hey, Disney, <laughs> aristocrats, other kings and queens, his first duty is always to the czar. So, if you know any of the history of the last czar of Russia, Nicholas, he, over time, became more and more isolated from his people. He kind of pulled away his uncertainty, insecurity in himself as a leader, caused him to kind of uh, make things worse. So, Fabergé, the craftsman, had to really do some work to find out about what they were doing inside the imperial palace and tried to capture elements of them in the eggs themselves. So when you look at these eggs, if you do some research on these imperial eggs, you'll see a lot of insight into the lives of the Tsar and his family. Oh, it's very that interesting. Time. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And, you know, he could have just done anything. He could have just come up with something. You know, he was clearly talented. But for him to go that extra mile and then some to try to find out information from a household that was very closed off in order to provide this for the mom and the wife of the Tsars. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So in 1911, Fabergé created the 15th anniversary egg, which basically told the Romanov story over this egg. So it's like an egg that has that is divided into little sections, and each section has like a little scene, a little like painting in it. Although it's somewhat three-dimensional, like the framing of the painting comes out of the eggs. It's, it's very elaborate, very interesting. That depicts the most notable events of the reign of Nicholas II and the family members. Then it went downhill for Nicholas and his family. During the first months of Russia's involvement in World War I, uh, there was a lot of discontent within the Russian motherland. And the economic conditions were just horrible. By 1917... A famine threatened the country, and there were riots and strikes demanding bread across Moscow and St. Petersburg. Yeah, so a lot of the discontent 
was maybe contributed by the czar doing things like still ordering super expensive eggs. eggs could be. While his people were starving. Yeah. It yeah. was a well-known problem of the czar's kind of opulence. Right. So in that year, 1917, on March 15th, Nicholas and his family were forced to leave and Nicholas was forced to abdicate the throne. The next day, they were removed to Siberia and held captive for over a year. And then on the morning of July 17th, 1918, the family was executed. Oh my the, goodness, that's the, terrible. The only immediate family member to survive was Nicholas's mother, the Dowager Empress Maria Fedorovna. She made a hasty departure from her homeland and she brought with her the Order of St. George Egg, the last Fabergé Imperial Easter Egg she would ever receive from her son, Nicholas. I'll talk a little bit later about some of the eggs, but the most expensive of all the Fabergé creations was an egg called Winter, made of diamonds, crystals, and opals. The surprise of this egg was a basket of anemones. Like sea yeah. anemones? Yeah, not live ones, but, you know, made ones. Oh, oh anemones? like... Anemones? hmm So, like, like just kind of like spiky bowl. little balls? Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Why, I wonder why, what in the family was going on that sea anemones would have been the thing. Someone made a rude comment to him and he was like, well, they're prickly. <laughs> <laughs> anemones it is! Yep. Okay, go ahead. Sadly, some of the Fabergé eggs were lost during the Revolution of 1917. Most of them were transported to the Kremlin and preserved until 1930. After the 1930s, some were actually sold to private collectors because the Soviet government was looking for ways to to cash in on some things. Many of the eggs were bought by Armin Hammer. Not Army Hammer, but Armin Hammer. That's interesting. And Emanuel Snowman Vartsky. Wait. Emmanuel Snowman? His middle name was Snowman, yes. And what was his last name? Vartsky with a V. <laughs> Vartsky with a V, okay. Yeah. I uh, may have misheard. Snowman, okay. <laughs> yep. And then Forbes, Bertie Forbes, was also an ardent collector of Fabergé eggs. He had up to 11 imperial eggs and four private eggs. Wow. Think about how much each one of those must have cost. Well, I guess maybe during the time that he picked them up, they might have been right. less expensive. So where can you find the eggs today? Well, like Cole said, most of them are in museums in Moscow and in St. Petersburg. The largest collection of real Fabergé eggs can be seen in the armory in the, in Moscow. Mm-hmm. In the Which Kremlin. I think both of us have yep. been to. And yes. it's very impressive with the amount of wealth oh in that armory. Yes. Yeah, you don't feel so bad about families. Imperial families, when you see the wealth they had in yeah. this place, it was a lot of wealth. Or so the uh, like the summer palace with it's like three hundred fountains and yep. gold gilded outside of the palace. There's a Fabergé museum in Saint Petersburg itself, and there are Fabergé eggs in a number of museums in other major museums in Russia. It's interesting. Because I wasn't sure if it started, the egg started with Alexander III or Alexander II, but Alexander II in 1881 was assassinated in St. Petersburg and one of the most famous churches in Russia, the Church of the Savior of the Blood, something along those lines, it has a really long name, was commissioned to be built on the spot that he was assassinated, which is very meaningful, I'm sure, but also was probably a nightmare for the architects. 
Right. Because you're like, that spot. Yeah. And it was like on a canal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be hard. Yeah, that would be. Just to talk a little bit about some of the eggs. So you can see 10 of the eggs in the Kremlin, in the armory. Among them are the Memory of Azov, which is an egg holding a miniature model of the cruiser of the same name. The egg called the Trans-Siberian Railway, which is decorated with a map of the Russian Empire and contains a tiny train, which is funny. A, an egg called the Alexander Palace Egg, which has a model of the palace inside. The Romanov Centenary Egg, with a globe inside. Got an egg called the Clover, an egg called the Standard Yacht, and the egg, an egg called the Alexander III Equestrian Egg. Uh, most people recognize the hen, which is the egg that I talked about in the beginning. There's also eggs called rosebud. There's a coronation egg. So a lot of different really pretty, really elaborate eggs that have little surprises inside that were um, part of that. How much do they cost? So the 1895 hen egg cost 60 rubles to the uh, palace. 60 rubles doesn't sound like very much, especially now nowadays. But... Translating that to the time, that was two years' salary for the average tradesman in Russia. And on top of that, typically when you do something for the throne, you don't charge as much as you would for other thrones, right? So if you're a Russian, you Wait, don't for charge. For other thrones? Yeah, so like if the German king or queen okay. asked you to do something, you would charge them full price. But if, since you're Russian, you right. would give the discount. Hometown discount. Hometown discount. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Obviously, the eggs are worth a lot more money today because of their artistry. For instance, the most expensive egg was the winter egg. The winter egg was from 1913. It cost just under 25,000 rubles, which was about $12,500 in 1913. And it's, I'm looking at it now, it's absurd that it was that cheap. Yeah, in 1994... It was acquired by an American businessman anonymously for a record price of $5.5 million. Cole was just looking at a picture of it. it. The winter egg contains two blocks of rock crystal, a bit of platinum, and 3,000 minute rose-cut diamonds within there. So all told, what they're guessing the actual worth of all that together is probably less than $10,000. Uh, of just worth if you're just buying them separately, That's but so because they they are cut together, right? And there's like this little basket of all these little roses, white roses. I mean, it's just incredible. Look it up. It that's where the, you get the yeah, the entire thing and its little stand yes. looks like it's made out of ice. Yes. Well, yeah. and the history. Yes, the exactly. Fame, the fame yeah. and the history of the Faberge right. egg connection to the, the Romanovs, and yes, right. exactly. So very fascinating. If you ever get a chance to go to Russia. Make sure you go to their museums. They have some of the greatest museums um, I've ever been to. The Armory is a huge museum and it does depict all the wealth of the czars prior to the um, the revolution. Prior yeah. to the revolution. So, very fun. Very. It was very interesting to find out more about those. Yeah, and there's a few I'm not sure if they have Fabergé eggs. There's a few in the Moscow Kremlin too that are worth. Is that right? Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Well, that is an Easter egg hunt I'd like to be at. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Scoop up a few of those. That's right. I'll skip the other 130 or so that are there and go right for that. 
the Easter egg hunt is something that most of us have enjoyed. Enjoy Autumn? And that is our, yeah, that is Autumn, our cat. She has enjoyed... Many an Easter with many us. Many an Easter, yes. So I don't know that she's ever hunted an egg. But Randy and I look back at the kids and the different Easter egg hunts they had. And there was always just a lot of fun. We participated in some community ones, some from churches, some family ones, like bigger family, and then some nuclear family. So lots of different kinds of egg hunts out there. An egg hunt, if you're not familiar with it... It's a game where there are... To some, it's a game. To others, it's very serious. (laughs) (laughs) It's meant to be a game. Sure. Where um, decorated Easter eggs are hidden for children to find. Not as many real hard-boiled eggs are there anymore, unless it's, uh, you know, your personal family. It's usually artificial eggs filled with candy or, or chocolate eggs wrapped in foil, that kind of thing. But for the family itself, they often will hard-boil eggs and make them really pretty and dye or paint them. Or the kids are little, stick stickers all over them. Whatever it is, that however you decorate them. I remember when our kids were little, I made a gilded golden egg where you opened it up and it had this jewel-encrusted little carriage in it. Do you remember that? You never did that. Oh, no. No. <laughs> oh, you're not. Uh... No. So the game is often played outdoors. It can be indoors in inclement weather, but the children will collect the eggs normally in a basket. And when the hunt's over, prizes can be given for various achievements or certain eggs that are gotten. Usually the eggs are placed with varying degrees of concealment and in various places based on age. So you don't have a three-year-old and a 10-year-old out there looking at the same time because clearly the 10 year old has an advantage yeah i mean if you have a family unit you might but then you tell the older ones to help the younger ones right and in our family when we did it at randy's dad's house at russ and penny's everyone came together and the kids were allowed i think 12 each so everybody contributed 12 We, we hid them everywhere and then the kids each got 12 12 per child so that was a really nice way to do it so that's easter egg hunt itself I was looking up the history, and there there were not definitive historical points of reference that I could find. There was a lot of, it could be this, or it could be this. Pre-Christianity, the eggs were seen as a representation of new life, spring, fertility, So, it was used in a variety of ways. Once Christianity came into play, then the egg was often used to represent Jesus coming from the tomb. And and I kept reading this. I'm like, I know I know the answer to this, but how is that Jesus coming from the tomb? Because the egg isn't empty. And it's because when you, you crack the egg. It's like the tomb being broken and Jesus emerging from that. So, there you go. If you were wondering too, there you go. Something that seems to be fairly universal, however, is that the Easter egg hunt over and over pointed back to the Protestant Christian reformer Martin Luther. 
Oh. Interestingly. Yeah. He had Easter egg hunts where the men hid the eggs for the women and children. L- Luther was, of course, German. So, again, lots of fun coming from Germany. That is exactly right. I was wondering about the women being part of that, but it's because the women were the first ones at the tomb of Jesus oh, afterward. Yeah. Okay. There you have it. That's the... That's... is You know, I'm sure there are lots of different pieces out there of information, but Martin Luther seems to be the one constant, and that it came from Germany, and that German Americans brought it over here. There are a bunch of, you know, different countries have different histories that you can point to, but all in all, it seems to have stemmed from Martin Luther. Yeah, interesting. So that was, yeah, that was very interesting. The Easter egg hunts may have been around since the beginning of the country then, because I know our ancestor on our German side came over during the Revolutionary War, so I imagine a lot of them came and brought their fun Easter egg hunts, because the Hessians came over for fun. (laughs) Well, they may have stayed for fun. That was (laughs) Some of them did. And I will say, some of the other, there are Easter egg hunts, like I described, and then there are a couple other activities that I want to just touch on. One is egg rolling. Mm. Now, some of that occurred when there were hills, and they would roll eggs down the hills. I believe is on the White House lawn, they do an egg rolling. That's right. Mm-hmm. And they have since... And that has a slope to it. Since Dolly Madison... The wife of the fourth American president, James Madison, organized an egg roll in Washington, D.C. So that seems to be where that came from. But they still do it, on the, to my knowledge. I don't know if they do it in COVID. Probably not. But, but they still do it normally on the Capitol line. That's a fair point, yeah. Now, egg tapping was interesting. And apparently, this is a contest that is huge in New Orleans. Real eggs are tapped against each other. The pointed eggs are tapped against each other. And the one that cracks loses. And then the winner of that one goes on to the next, you know, the next grouping of egg tapping. And then so on until there's ultimately an egg tapping winner. And I believe you have to crack and eat the hard-boiled egg afterward to show that it was not... Like a fake egg? Yeah, so that it was it's an edible egg. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's rock hard that you couldn't eat anyway. Right. So that was that's that whole thing was just very interesting. And the last one this was fascinating. There is an Easter egg hunt for the visually impaired. Okay. So they can get Easter eggs that have beeping sounds or clicks or different noises so the children can find them. It says some beeping eggs make a single high-pitched sound. Other types of beeping eggs play melody or just a variety of sounds. Now, that's going to be a lot of sound, but if you're visually impaired, you still get to try this really fun activity in your own way. I like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. So this year, when you are doing your egg hunt, that gives you a little more information about it. And enjoy. Have a good time. Go find you some eggs. Go find some eggs. Maybe yeah. one of them will be Fabergé. <laughs> if it is, yeah. you are one you lucky are, duck. You are lucky. <laughs> you uh, struck gold 
Literally. Some, yeah, literally. There are some missing ones out there, so. Yep, so maybe in your backyard you can find one of the, <laughs> mis- uh, one of the missing Imperial Romanov eggs. Right. So I'm going to be talking about the hider of the eggs, kind of costumed mall Easter bunnies. And if you have very young kids, this might be the time to kind of skip to the end of the podcast because we're going to be talking about our experiences with them. Not always positive. Not always positive. A lot of kids did not always have positive experiences with mall Easter bunnies. Yes. As evidenced by many... Pictures of crying children with the Easter Bunny. Many a screaming photo. (laughs) So I tried to go and find what is the history, why are there mall Easter Bunnies. There's not a lot of information on it. What I can find is that it seems to have happened after the mall Santas. I wondered that. Which makes sense. Right. Uh, And it seems to have been very popular in... Like, Pennsylvania and, like, the German population areas. And that, in Pennsylvania, there were a lot of Germans that settled there. Yes. Uh, Aside from that, most of what I found is just vintage photos of Easter bunnies. Now, I'll say, a lot of the Easter bunny costumes now look a lot better. They really do. They're kind of back in the day... It looked more human, which I think was very unnerving. Yeah. Now they kind of look like, if you go to Disney World, the Mickey Mouse costumes. Right. They look kind of like cartoonishly exaggerated features. Right. So Fun you, and cheerful. So you don't get that weird effect of it's too human shaped Yeah. for comfort. Did you guys, when you were kids, ever go to a, a mall bunny? M-A-L-L, not M-A-U-L. <laughs> Although that might be the implication from some of their faces. I don't remember going to any. I don't either. I don't think... Santa was very prevalent. Right. But he was prevalent everywhere. Like, we didn't have malls real close to us, but we still had... I still have pictures of me crying on Santa's lap. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in fact, malls weren't big until late... Until, you know, my probably high school years. So, when we were in elementary school, it would have been in department stores... Bigger right, department that's stores right. at the time. And um, I don't remember, and I don't think I have any pictures of us with Easter bunnies, but I do remember people must have rented costumes and have bunnies kind of appear at like an event, like, yeah. a, like a community kind of event. I vaguely remember those, but I was never that into it. Because like you said, the Santa Clauses that came looked like Santa Claus. Right. Kids would cry with Santa Claus because it was a stranger. Right. And kids would cry with the Easter Bunny because it was a monster. <laughs> I don't know. It was a, a, a rather big um, it was. thing. Yes. And Not the, a normal bunny. The funny thing is, for Easter and for Christmas, we would stay in our rooms at night. Um, the night before. With Christmas, it was because if you go out, Santa Claus will be there, you know. You don't want to lose your presence. Right. The same implication was kind of with Easter baskets, but I didn't go out because my experience, my only experience with Easter bunnies was seeing the giant mall bunnies. And when I was a little kid, I was horrified, I was terrified that I would walk out and see this giant bunny 
hiding the Easter baskets, <laughs> and it would look at me with its dead eyes. <laughs> and Again, Cole's problems with solid eyes, no pupils. Yes. So it, he, it, was, it was very different. It was excitement for not going out during Christmas. It was self-preservation for not going out during Easter. And But I will say... We never, we never knew this until Cole was an adult. Yes, you never knew this. Well, um, I guess yes. No, I mean, he was younger. But but Teenager. he was older. Yeah, he wasn't an elementary school kid. We didn't. Know, we had shown him plenty of cartoon Easter Peter Cottontail yeah. Easter bunnies. So in our heads, he's thinking what we're thinking: cute little bunny yeah. came, no. dropped a basket. No, but he wasn't. Yes. Because typically on the shows, the Easter Bunny might be bigger than a regular bunny, but it's still very short. Yes, yeah. yeah. it still it hops yeah. around. Yes, yeah. it doesn't like you could take it on. Yeah, <laughs> if you're a kid, I mean, it's about your size. But it was a, almost uh, I don't even know what was going through my head. Almost a Krampus esque. Like if I went out, was the bunny going to like drag me away into its bunny hole? That makes me think. Now you know what all those kids in other countries feel like when they have the good and the bad. Yeah, for Christmas they have the Krampuses. That if you're bad, no, that's, I, that's terrible. I experienced. <laughs> I experienced that, which could very well have been was not, but could very well have been part of the legend of the Easter Bunny. That if you see him, he drags you away because it came over from Germany. I could see oh, that. I could see that being part of the right. because the, the old myth. fairy tales. It was not. Were, yeah, were very. Kind of, they very could grim. get scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of these old Easter Bunny costumes. Were, oh gosh, I'm looking through them now. Yeah, they're pretty horrifying. So if you think about the first Mickey and Minnie costumes for Disney World back, you know, back in the early days of um, Disneyland, they were kind of like a huge head and just a person in tights with their red color clothes on for yeah. the body. So and the head was big. The, the rest of the body was regular size. It's interesting because a lot of the old vintage ones. Are a guy in a full bunny costume, which has the face cut out of the costume, and his face is painted. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, that's that might be better than the. Oh no, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> look. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a Wizard of Oz kind of s villain. Yeah, uh, person. Um, because I'm looking at a picture, and the whiskers are almost like a maniacal mustache. They're kind of <laughs> sticking yeah. straight out. There's fake big bushy eyebrows and the buck teeth. It's just yeah, a whole lot of horrifying everything. All here. kinds of things, all squished together. So, do you guys think that it's better or worse? A lot of these costumes have either the eyes covered and like blacked out so that they can see through, and some of them have them fully cut out so you can see the person's eyes underneath. Which one do you think is? I don't like the cutout part. Where it's I just don't either. The wrong ratio. I yeah. like the ones that where the eyes are bigger. They're they're part of the costume, so they're not cut out, and the person can see through the black part. Like right. It's like a mesh. But I like them having pupils. Yeah. Yeah. Like large kind of. And a lot of them pupils. don't. A lot of them are solid black. Yes. So that you can kind of and maximize how much you can that. see. Right. Right. Yeah. It's weird because if they're cut out. It just feels weird looking into someone's eyes. Yeah. yeah, it's like looking into their head. Yeah. Right? It just feels wrong. Like they're yeah. looking... Like it's almost stalkerish. Like someone's in there looking at you. Yeah. yeah. Hiding, like concealing themselves. But if they're solid black, it doesn't feel like the Easter Bunny is human at all. 
I, I'm with you, Randy. I'm definitely solid black all the way. Yeah, that, that I, is, I think I would take it over the cutout yeah, eyes. Yeah, the cutouts are a little creepy. Yeah, but I'd rather it not be solid black. I'd rather it be the oh, eyes yeah, extra right. large with white on it, but the so the black part um, right. is just part of the It's just a big pupil. It's a big pupil, yeah. So it's interesting. What I've found is that, do you think that glasses on the Easter Bunny are better or worse? I have seen that. That's kind of cute. I know. I, it seems to kind of mitigate some of the scariness yeah. in having it have glasses. Because a lot of times they'll be down a little bit. Almost like readers. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. You, know, you don't often see monsters with glasses. So maybe you, that gets... You don't. So the more things that... <laughs> you can make friendly. That you can make friendly. Because I have a list of um, like Easter Bunny pictures here. And the ones with glasses... Yeah tend to be a little better. It's almost yeah. like a bunny that looks like the bunny from Alice in Wonderland with the I'm late, I'm late bunny. The, with it the does. Monocle? With, does yeah. he have a monocle? I think he does. Yes, he has a monocle or like little spectacles. Yeah. 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 I know we've seen the Easter bunny. In fact, I was just trying to find pictures of it, but I can't. We've seen Easter bunnies from Disney. Uh, we've gone to Disney during the Easter time frame. And they often have Mr. and Mrs. Easter Bunny there that you can take pictures of, just like they have Photo Mr. Ops. and Mrs. Santa Claus. Right. Um, and their Easter Rabbit, Easter Bunny, and Mrs. Easter Bunny are always very cute. Yeah. They're still big. They're still large. But right. All, all but the characters friendly. are big down there. Exactly. So now, if your child doesn't like big animated characters, that's not the place to be. That's right. It's just in line with all the other stuff. Right. Now, I've found that the... Easter bunnies, which have, like, plastic faces, yeah. tend to be, like, a little scarier than the ones who are full fuzzy. cloth. Yeah, yeah, fuzzy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you think about, uh, like, Disney, where they do the characters in costume. They pretty much make them all about the same size, and they don't care that, that it's not proportionally correct. Right. Like, Miko the raccoon from Pocahontas is equally well, larger, as large. Larger than John Smith. Yeah, right. Larger in size than yeah. John Smith, right? And the uh, Mike, I mean Mickey and Minnie. Yeah. Are yes. big. Yes, they're right. all as big as Tigger. Right. And, so you kind yeah. of accept it down. So maybe if your kids are used to that, right. then the Easter Bunny's not so off. Right. Yeah. But none of those characters are coming into your home at night either. Yeah, that's so. true. I found that another problem that some of these vintage costumes have is the Easter Bunnies have lips. That's weird looking. And, and, it's, and it's weird, and I'm not yeah. really comfortable with it. Yeah, that is odd looking. Well, yeah, and you wonder who's designing them, right? And they're right. trying. Yeah, they are. Like they keep adding or taking away things to mm-hmm. try to make them better, and and afterward, it's like, yeah, that didn't work. Yes. Yeah. And there are some cases where pupils are not good. Okay. Like this picture. Where the are pupils red? are red. <laughs> Why? Why? And again, it's like a devil. Again, a lot, of, a lot of lip action here. <laughs> yes. How about ones with this big... one's not so bad because the mouth is small, so it could, in theory, not eat me whole. How about any with buck teeth? Do any of them have like the buck teeth? Uh, the most early of them, ones did. I most know. of them have the buck teeth. I think the buck teeth are worse on the ones where it's like cut out and just a person's face. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, yeah, they have to wear little buck teeth. Yeah, yeah, they have to wear buck teeth, and it's just, it's just terrible. Well, Randy said, um, (laughs) well, and then again this morning, to he sent a picture this morning to the whole family here of a vintage rabbit with 
buck teeth. And I think they must have been felt teeth because they were big buck. And I'm mm. like, look at them. I'm like, I think they must be felt. Like, they looked terrible. Like, just cut them. Just shoot, cut them <laughs> off. Don't, don't subject people to that. Uh, another thing that's funny is I think a smile works like an open mouth smile. I would, as a child, prefer a closed mouth smile mm-hmm. from the Easter Bunny. Yeah. But Easter Bunnies, which seem to be in the middle of laughing, are <laughs> horrible. Because, especially if the mouth is large enough that me as a yes. child, my head can fit in it. <laughs> yes. This is uh, an Easter bunny that I'm seeing here. And its mouth is just gaping wide. Like, it's, la- it's not just laughing, like it's laughing hard. It's laughing hard, and it's holding a child, <laughs> and it's like it could just lean over and engulf the child's head <laughs> in its open mouth. Yes. And that kid is not happy, by the way. No, none of these children are really happy. Now, it's interesting, because there is a picture that I saw of an Easter bunny. Very vintage, but doesn't look too bad. And it's different than a lot of the other bunnies that I saw. See this one. That's not too bad? It's. I don't think it is too bad. Oh, that's interesting. Because it's... It, his face almost looks like a lion. Maybe that's why it doesn't feel too bad to you, because it doesn't look like a bunny. Because it's, it's got kind of the small eyes. It looks more actual bunny-like. It does. Like. Yeah, it does. It does. It's, and it's, he has it's very brown. small mouth. Small mouth, small yeah. teeth. It's a brown rabbit, which you don't see much. Yes, you don't see that. Uh, the ears stick straight up. But I will say it it ranked number two for, like, scary bunny list there. Yes. <laughs> for whoever made that list, he was number two. So he, the, but, the person that made the list doesn't like Which is interesting, because I think like there's it. a lot oh, worse oh, bunnies. Yeah. There's you want to see some horrible bunnies, just look that right. up on Google. Yeah, yeah, just, Google. just look up scary bunnies. Here's one with a guy who... Has got like clown makeup. Yeah. On. So you can see like the the outline of his. You can see his it's face. It's a hood. Yeah. It's a hood. It's a hood. Basically, yeah, with um oh, ears. That's, that's haunting. He. This guy opens his eyes really wide too. Yeah. So he's just staring into my soul. Um, <laughs> so clearly, this is a me problem from my childhood, where I was terrified by the thought of the Easter Bunny. Being downstairs. Just so sad. But, you know, if any of you, if I'm not alone out there, if any of you experience the same thing <laughs> as a child, please let us know. I need to know that I'm not alone. There you go. I'm not alone with the Easter Bunny. Because <laughs> uh, that is a truly haunting and terrifying thought for me. Well, I think maybe uh, we'll end on a positive note of some Let's future festivities. Yep. <laughs> Our future festivities are for the week of March 29th. March 29th is Smoke and Mirrors Day. March 30th is National Doctor's Day. March 31st, National Crayon Day. April 1st, April Fool's Day. April 2nd, Good Friday. April 3rd, National Find a Rainbow Day. And April 4th, Easter. So earlier I said Easter was uh, the second uh, Sunday of the month of April. It's the first Sunday of the month. Oh, there you go. Because it says it right here. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Holiday underscore Moons. On Instagram, we are at Holiday Moons, one word. You can find us by searching Holiday Moons in the Facebook search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can email us at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Randy, Beth, and Cole, Happy Easter! Peter Cottontail hopping down the bus.
sunny trail, hippity hoppin' Easter's on its way. Bring in every girl and boy, baskets full of Easter joy, things to make your Easter bright and gay. He's got jelly beans for Tommy Colored eggs for Sister Sue There's an orchid for your mommy And an Easter bonnet too Oh, here comes Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bunny trail Hippity-hoppity happy Easter day Here comes Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bunny trail Look at him stop and listen to him say Try to do the things you should Maybe if you're extra good He'll roll lots of Easter eggs your way You'll wake up on Easter morning And you'll know that he was there When you'll find those chocolate bunnies That he's hiding everywhere Oh, here comes Peter Cottontail Hopping down the bunny trail Hippity-hoppity happy Easter day 